0: out, you notice there's pictures, graphics, so um, that's always exciting to me. I don't know if it is to you, but I I like infographics or however you want to word that. So we have a task before us because I, I know well enough on my own account, and I can assume on yours, that you probably do not remember anything we've discussed so far because you've had a week off from the book of Galatians. I know how that is. I myself had to stop and go, what did we say last? Um, So I kind of spent the afternoon regrouping, which also meant I rethought through how to present some of the material. So it's going to take us about an hour to set up the verses we're going to read tonight. And then the last two blanks in your outline actually are the point of tonight's text. So that's going to seem a little disproportionate, I know. Um, But we need to, he doesn't say much in this passage, he just says the rest of what he's been saying. And since we skipped a week, so it's been two weeks since we were in this book. I want to make sure we're following along on what the basic idea the Apostle Paul is working through. So let's start with the basics, the context of the book of Galatians. We've been dealing with the churches in the region called Galatia, and the guy named Paul is writing to them, and he's writing to them because he's having to deal with what particular group of people? Judaizers. Y'all said that very confidently. I like that. And what are the Judaizers trying to get the... Church at Galatia to do. Yeah, so be be Jewish is the simple way, um, but be Jewish in some specific ways. So let's list those out. What what's the ways they want them to be Jewish? All right. So um, I'm going to call circumcision, um, Sabbaths, ah, oh, bacon. I'm going to call that baconless, baconless living. Um. I can spell baconless living. That's easy. But uh, circumcision is not. All right. Table fellowship. Remember what the issue was with, with that? Yep. Only Jews, or at least only people practicing the rest of the list. So there's a hierarchy here. There's a demarcation. There's a boundary system for defining who is God's people and who is not, who are not of God's people. Now, they're getting this from the Old Testament. So let's start with that basic, so Paul's writing to combat them, but let's give them a little bit of credit, and let's just see where they would get this notion from, because all of these things, the circumcision, the Sabbath, not eating bacon, I mean, these are literally in God's law. So we've asked the question before, are we supposed to keep God's law as Christians? I got a yes and then a slight retraction. Um, How many would boldly say, absolutely, we're supposed to keep the law? How many would say, no, absolutely not? Oh, that's a good clarification. Okay, so if we summarize the law into its two chief commandments, what are the two chief commandments? Are you supposed to do those? Absolutely. You're supposed to do both of those. So the answer is yes, with an asterisk. (laughs) Right, We know that there's, a, there's something else going on here. But let's jump into the world of the Judaizers for just a moment. We have two categories in the Old Testament. We can see this in the book of Psalms, especially Psalm 1. But really, you can see this all over the Old Testament. You have this grouping. We have two groups of people, and you probably know what they are. On one side, you have the righteous. Think about Job. Remember, Job, we studied Job for a few months here. Um, where would Job be? Now Job is definitely on this side. Um, and the book of Job spends a lot of time talking about these same two groups. Job here is being treated by God as though he belongs to the other category. What's the other category? The wicked. Now, in the Old Testament, if we're just reading through casually. And I asked you... How do you know who are the righteous versus who are the wicked? How, what would you give me to make that decision? All right, so I would observe. so let's say I observe, uh, ob, observe? observe, is that right? Okay, so let's say I'm looking. Here's my looking glasses. All right, I was trying. So, in, so in, But we don't usually have a name tag, you know. It'd be, it'd be really convenient if I could walk around and there was a spiritual name tag, righteous, unrighteous, unrighteous, holy, you know, like that would be great. We get it with Job. We get it with Apollos in the New Testament. We get it with a handful of folks, and it's incredible, but we usually don't have that. So if we're looking at people and deciding which category they, they belong to, which one, what are we going to look at? All right, so I could look at ethnicity. So from Abraham down, I could say you're a descendant of Abraham, then you're among the righteous. But I think we all know it's people in that that don't count. All right, so law keepers. I could say law keepers. You know, as you could say, that one's pretty broad. It covers things that I probably would have been more okay. Faith. What's the difference between David and Solomon? Well, they they're both out of the ethnicity, and you could say they're both law keepers. You could also say they're both law breakers, though. Can you think of a time Solomon broke the law? He led idols back into the kingdom. Um, but what about David? Did David do anything wrong here? <laughs> adultery, and adultery was step one of a long journey there. Where'd that long journey of adultery end? And not just murder. Mass, it's mass murder. So, so David, all right, so but what about this one? Was David faithful? Was Solomon faithful? Sometimes. This is one of the key differences. All right, we're just trying to work through an idea. In the Bible, this question we're asking, which category do you belong in, and how do we make that differentiation, is called justification. So instead of the word observe, I'm going to write the word justification. Now, justify, what does that make you think of? Do you know what that... Never sin. Or no, in other words, you're righteous. So biblically, the word justification or justify and righteous, justice and righteousness, they're literally the same word. It's only in English that we differentiate the two. It's literally the same thing. So basically, this is a question. Are you righteous or not? So we could, we could justify you based on ethnicity, are you a Jew or not? Ishmael. Is he the son of Abraham? But does he count among the righteous? No, he doesn't. All right, so further we get the law. Are you a law keeper? Now, ultimately, we're going to say the correct answer was faith. That's not where the Judaizers are, though. Where are the Judaizers camping out? Law. A little bit of ethnicity, too, yeah. But uh, they'll let you on the team, so long as you become a Lawkeeper. So where are we out in the blanks? What have we filled in? All right. So the Judaizers. Let's so say we did righteous and wicked. The Judaizers taught the just the justification was by the works of the law. So here's how I think. Uh, let's just draw the chart that way. So think of justification as a filter. So you got a big group of people. We can say all the people in the world. And they get put through a filter. This filter is called justification. So, in this filter, there's a criteria. If you meet the criteria, you get sorted to the side. Otherwise, you pass straight through. So, if you pass straight through, let's see, this is really hard for me. All right, then you end up at the bottom. I'm going to just call this the wicked. The wicked don't get filtered out. They go straight through the justification, because justification is asking the question, are you righteous? So the answer, if it's no, you go down to the wicked. If the answer is yes, did I do that reversed, Mirror imaged? Is it okay? It's going to bug me, though. Is it going, who's it going to bug I'm not under the law. I'm under my law. (laughs) You want to measure it? No. (laughs) You are righteous, then you get filtered over here with the righteous. It's important to note that righteous and wicked could be summarized as God's people. Am I too low now? And the other here, this is not God's people. That's simple. So if justification is by the law, then the question we're asking here is do you obey the law? Simple question. The answer is no, you belong to the wicked. The answer is yes, you belong to the righteous. So that is justification by works. Very simple. This is how the Judaizers view it. You go through this filter. Do you obey the law? No. Well, I don't care if you believe in Jesus. Because if you answered no here, you're filtered with the wicked. If you answered yes, you're filtered with the righteous. That's their filter. That's what they're saying. We can think of the Pharisees believing in this essential worldview. Now, Paul has spent the whole letter arguing That the law never meant to do this. That no one in the Old Testament got saved by this filter. Ever. That's what Paul's been arguing for most of the book of Galatians so far. So to make sense of that, let's just talk about the law. You may remember, we said you could divide the law into three pieces. Remember that conversation? Now, to be clear... The law doesn't divide itself this way. This is us looking backwards at the law, recognizing that in the New Testament, there's some commandments that are absolutely still um, binding to us. No other gods before me. So can you practice idolatry as a New Testament believer? No. Of course not. In fact, we could definitely list nine of the Ten Commandments direct repetition in the New Testament. Without any question. The only one not directly stated in the New Testament being which one, Do you know? The Sabbath is the only one that's not directly restated in the New Testament. Well, that's a topic for another day. But uh, So we know there's laws we're supposed to keep. But do you have to sacrifice the Passover lamb? No. Not at all. There's things that we definitely do not keep. In fact, the vast majority of the book of Leviticus you do nothing with, you're not obligated to. So we look at that and go, well, you can kind of see that different parts of the law serve different purposes. We'll call the first one the moral, the moral law. I guess I'll have to rewrite law. The moral law. So what do I mean by moral? What do you think of when you hear that word? right and wrong. So sacrificing your children would be part of the moral law. Obeying your father and mother would be part of the moral law. Don't commit adultery is part of the moral law. There's some that are very easy because they're clearly part of the moral law. Let me try to do the same order I did on there. All right. And then we have the civil law. Now, what is civil? Legal. So, in our context, we would say civil is what? It's, it's essentially the government. So, in the New Testament, who has the governmental authority according to the New Testament? It's actually expressly not given to the church. We'll see that coming up in the book of 1 Peter on Sundays. We've already seen that in Paul in Romans, who's he give the power of the sword to? The, really the secular authorities. The civil law doesn't directly Come over into the New Testament. Now, I'll say directly. The reason I throw in that caveat because Jesus quotes part of the civil law and applies it to you, me, in the Sermon on the Mount. So, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, the very beginning, um, what kind of the end of the, the intro, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law. I came to, use your keyword, to fulfill. And then he goes through and gives some distinctives, and he starts off with the don't murder. And he says, "Don't commit adultery." Then he goes over divorce, and he goes over oaths. Anybody know what the next one is? You've heard it said, "An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, you know what he changes it to? This is where we get the someone slaps you on the right cheek. Golden rules a little later. It's in the same sermon, but uh, he's quoting part of the civil. Law Where did the eye for an eye" thing come up? This is if you wrong your neighbor and it goes to court an eye for an eye was a restraint on how far you could be punished. We have the same sort of systems in our culture. We have maximum sentences that a given crime can receive you're not supposed to supposed to be illegal to go greater than that. You follow what I'm saying That's all an eye for an eye was. so if something happened to you and you lost an eye, and you're suing them, you're pushing legal action, the furthest that conviction can go is their eye. You follow what I'm saying? So he takes a civil, clearly a civil law, but how does he plot? Does he apply it civilly? Say, hey, so when you're writing the Constitution, that's not what he does. What, what's he do to the civil law? He applies it morally, exactly. So he takes the civil law and gives it a moral application. So I skipped some points. That was actually the second to last blank there. The civil law is fulfilled in, sorry, I did not proofread this, fulfilled in moral principles. So we have the moral, the civil. Anybody know the third category we gave? Ceremonial. That one's easy. That's the rituals regarding the sacrificial system. How many of them did we do? None, zero. Jesus has fulfilled them once for all, no question. So the Judaizers emphasized the civil and particularly the ceremonial law, the laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness, the things that made you pure before the Lord. That's what they symbolized, or that's what they emphasized. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law in his death as a sacrifice for sin once for all. So the civil law is fulfilled in moral principles, but the moral law still applies. Straight across. We don't have to do any interpretive work to say you shall not commit adultery. Ceremonial law. Ceremonial law. You follow the difference? So like with the civil application, we had to make it moral. The don't commit adultery is literally the same across the board. There's no translation process. There's no interpretation process. There's no, how does this apply to me? Um, Can you commit adultery? No. Period. There's no complicated work there. Can you worship other gods? No. It's just a direct, literal, you still have to obey this command just as it's written. Does that make sense? So that's what we're saying with the distinction. So that being said, how does that serve the Apostle Paul's purpose in saying that the law never saved anyone? He says that explicitly back in chapter 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Why can he say so boldly as a Jew, hey, we, we know that, that is not what makes us God's people. How can he say that so boldly? All right, number one, nobody keeps this perfectly. Not even possible. What else? Okay. I don't know if this is where you're going, but it might be, so I'm going to go that way. This was one of his arguments the Apostle Paul's making. If the law had been good enough, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to do something else. So the fact that Jesus came at all automatically proves the law cannot justify you. It's Part of Paul's argument. Now, it's it's complex. It's part of the whole system. That's most of chapter 3 is what he's arguing, is this cannot be what justifies us. So, consequently, we have to redo our system. So let's rerun the equation, so to speak, the filter process. And instead of it being the law or works justify you, what's Paul saying justifies you instead? Faith. Faith. I'm going to word it this way. Do you follow Jesus? That's the question that's being asked in this version of justification. And if the answer's no, then what are you? You're still of the wicked. Nothing nothing happens when you pass through the filter. Follow? But if you answer yes, what does that mean? It means you got designated among the righteous. Now, were you actually religiously righteous through this filter? No, not technically. This is where we get that expression, declared, declared declared righteous, you're just filtered over. God says, "No, nope, in the righteous camp. Not in the righteous camp. You don't believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus? In the righteous camp. That's the filtration process. This is what Paul is trying to articulate in Galatians. Now, what we'll have to do is make sense of where the law comes in in relation to this. So let's uh, fill in the blanks. So there are still two categories. The righteous, Paul's got other terms for that. Instead of the righteous, often we're called the redeemed or saints, Um, believers. And then instead of the wicked, usually the expression is unbeliever. That makes sense why we call the wicked unbelievers, right? Because that was the question asked. If the answer is no, then not only are you wicked, you're the unbeliever. So Paul taught that justification was by you should have this one by now. Faith, exactly. As the proper fruit of faith, and justification, Paul taught that believers become more and more like Christ i e believers continually grow in obedience to the moral character of the law, not the outward pictures show sort of the outward pictures of the law, in other words, not outward righteousness. So we could trade out righteousness and wicked with Christ likeness and Christ-lessness. There's a difference Christ likeness Christ-lessness. That's the two categories. So with all of that in mind, now we are ready to begin. 707. We're doing all right. Our time is going to be fine. So where we are is Galatians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 7. So we just had the famous passage about when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, And then we became heirs, so we're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir. Now, verse 8, now we're honing in and specifically talking about the Gentiles. Now, all of us in this room, as far as I know, are Gentiles. I don't think any of us grew up Jewish. Uh, Many of us perhaps grew up in the church, but at the very least um, grew up not Jewish. So, we're going to relate to Paul to some degree in this statement. He says, formally... When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Let's reword that. What's Paul saying they used to be? They were sinners, but what particular type of sin is he talking about? Idolatry. So think here idolatry, not until we spiritualize idolatry a lot. We make oh, anything you're doing is, is an idol. Paul's not using it in quite a. Um, allegorical sort of way here. He's literally talking about six weeks ago, you worshipped Zeus. Literally. Aphrodite. Apollos. Got these literal idols, and you were enslaved to them. So so formally, you didn't know the real God. Instead, you were enslaved to these not-God gods. You follow what he's saying. All right, so he words it slightly differently. But now... You have come to know God. And know what God specifically? The God, Jesus, Yahweh. Um, You've come to know the God or rather, and I love the way Paul clears this up, or rather to be known by God. Now, known in what sense? Because God knows everything, but that's not what this passage is talking about. God, another way to say you're saved is to say God knows you. Have you ever uh, dropped a name in a conversation before? We're like, oh, I know them. It's one thing to say, I know them. It's another thing to say, oh, they know me. You know, there's a lot of people I could say, oh, I know them. I always, you know, I joke about this. Um, one of the guys I used to have a pastor fanboy crush on, is that a fair way to say that, was David Platt. Um, you know who David Platt is, right, most of you? Radical. He's a famous um, evangelical superstar i guess kind of a, a modern billy graham of sorts everybody knows who billy graham is i got most of the room shaking. It. so a modern version of that same kind of level of popularity and uh i used to joke that uh or not joke <laughs> totally name dropped that my sister was on the worship team at his church and knew him by name and he knew her by name and then the harsh reality would sit in that uh She wouldn't introduce me to him. She was embarrassed. She knew I'd be weird. (laughs) I wouldn't do it. But, uh, like, so there's a big difference between me saying, oh, yeah, I know David Platt, kind of remotely through a third party, who happens to be my sister who won't introduce me, and me saying David Platt knows me. Huge difference in the two statements. But as an allegory, Paul's saying, yeah, you've come to know God, or really more importantly, Now God knows you by name as a child. Not in the omniscient sort of way. We're talking in the precise, you're one of the people God calls out by name. Wow, that's his picture here. That's happened to you, Gentiles. So how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles? Now we reference the elementary principles Two weeks ago, anybody remember how we defined that? On the tip of your tongue, elementary print what? Anybody? Are we? We said this is the bare basic components of religious activity. Are we we have a tendency to do this. We we let them creep back into our life. Elementary principles um, are those things we do to make God like us. That's that's what they always boil down to. Do you ever commit a sin and then you have a particular routine you go through that eases your conscience? I'm going to go say this prayer. I'm going to sing that song. I'm going to go to church. um, I'm going to do something to justify myself or at least in some way to to medicate, self-medicate my feeling of guiltiness. That's elementary religious principles. That's what he's talking about. In their pagan culture... Everything they did fell into this category. And if you remember my, my, my favorite word, propitiation, that's what their life revolved around, was constantly doing these practices to propitiate their God. In other words, to make their God like them again. Anything that fit into that category. So he's saying, you Gentiles, now that God knows you by name, how can you turn back again to these elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Now, what is he calling elementary principles of the world in this particular verse? It's the practices of the law. He's, he's comparing practicing the law to their old paganism. So he's saying, if you get circumcised, that's just like your worthless practice to Zeus. You... Do these, and he's going to talk about these different Sabbath practices they do. If you follow these, you might as well do them to Apollos. They're in the same category. If you're doing them to make God like you, they are all utterly meaningless. Look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now that's, he's just being harsh. He's going to say later. He wasn't. But he's like, I wasted my time there. I preach grace, and then you make it about works. I've completely wasted my time. Now, he's being facetious. He doesn't believe he has. But you follow the question. Like, how how could you go back to elementary principles if God likes you already? That's the real question. He knows you by name. It's like, that one's mine. Okay, I'm going to do stuff to make make you earn this or make myself earn this. It reminds me of the prodigal son showing back up to the father. Remember what the prodigal son? He'd rehearsed the speech before he came home. Do you remember that speech? He, he's he's in the pig pen, and he's he's with the pigs. He's like, you know, it's you know the servants at home do better. And he he writes a prepared speech. He's, like, I'm going to go home, tell my dad I don't I don't even deserve, you know, to be a son. Just just let me to be a slave. That'll, he's got this thing set. He knows what he's going to say, and then he gets there. And how much of that speech does he give the father? Do you remember? Zero, absolutely none of it. What's the father do instead? He he runs out to meet him, which is shocking to start with. Embraces him, gives him the signet ring. That's like giving him the credit card, you know, to the family. <laughs> Puts the clothes on him and kills the fatted calf. And of course, you know how the the Judaizer in that story responds. Who is the elder brother? He gets he gets furious. That's Paul's asking the same question. Like you show back up at the house and. Father takes you 100 percent, and then you get up the next day and you're going to act like that didn't happen. And now, okay, well, today I'm going to earn it. Yesterday you gave it to me for free, but today I'm going to earn it. Paul saying, there's, there's no room for this. That doesn't make sense. So verse 15, or sorry, 12. "Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are." Now read between the lines there. What's Paul saying? In other words, Paul says this in another place, uh, all things to all people, meaning, what did he do? He ate the bacon. Paul would eat the bacon. But he would also not eat the bacon if he was hanging out with people that couldn't eat the bacon. He would not eat the bacon just to not make offense. But if he was hanging out at your house and you were eating the bacon, he was eating the bacon. So he's saying, hey, become like me because I became like you. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I first preached the gospel to you. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. Now this is a place where there's unending speculation. So what was Paul's physical ailment, bodily ailment, that he had when he was at the Church of Galatia? And the answer is, we don't have any idea. Um, There's a lot of answers out there. One is his eyesight, which actually makes sense with this context. A lot of people think this is probably the thorn in the flesh. The fact of the matter is, is we have no idea. Um, We simply do not know, but we know that there was some trial that he had when he was there that made him probably look poor to them says but they received him as an angel of god really as Christ Jesus himself what then has become of this blessing you felt for i testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me now that's why a lot of people think the thorn in the flesh is an eye related thing cuz otherwise why are they giving willing to gouge out their eyes and give them to him so fair enough we We're just reading between the lines. We don't really know, but it makes sense. Either way, whatever was going on there, it did not shut him down. Because what he was saying wasn't just outwardly persuasive. It was inwardly powerful. You get the point, like, they heard this message of the truth, and they truly believed in it. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, let's unpack that for just a second. We don't have, literally speaking, we don't have Judaizers in most church settings. Now, I would argue that there are some denominations that lean this way, but that's not what we're generally dealing with. Instead, just the general self-righteousness that happens in church circles. Have you ever met that person? If you've been in church, you have, you've met this person. Maybe you don't know you've met this person, but they're there. A genuinely self-righteous person. What are some things that uh, mark them out? How do you know when they're in the crowd? We're going to diagnose. So there's a, a virus going around. It's called self-righteousness 19. And uh, what are the symptoms of this disease? holier than thou and talks about themselves a lot, why do they talk about themselves a lot? They're their own reference I oh, really like that they're they're the the model here, and since they're the model, what are you <laughs> worshipper okay less than but so but Paul's saying this by making. So I'm the self-righteous person, and I'm saying, look at how good I do these things. Y'all see this? You should start doing them like this too. Now, is that gonna make us level if I get you to start doing the stuff I make you do? No, 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 it never works that way. That allows me to get up on a pedestal and say, hey, look, I made all, ooh, that chair's gonna break. I made all these people act like me. And then the more people I get worn over to my brand of righteousness, what happens to me? I get higher and higher and higher. That's what's happening. So Paul's saying, you know, they're making much of you, but not for a good purpose. What's their true purpose in making much of these Gentiles? Or just make much of their own self? It is always for. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Anybody ever made much of you? Had a big deal about you? Just genuinely liked you and thought you were the stuff. Maybe a little too much, I don't know. You just had anyone ever be proud of you? you know it's like it's, it's not Paul's saying, that's always good. It's always good to be, you know, appreciated. All right? It'd be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, um, until Christ is formed in you. This is the most theologically significant statement out of everything in tonight's paragraph. What's his end goal with these believers? Conform to the image of Christ. That is the just end of sanctification. Not, I got circumcised and obeyed the law, here's my rules, i do them. Again, Jesus, when he's quoting the law from the Old Testament, he doesn't say, it says you don't murder, so make sure you don't murder. What's he say? It says don't murder, so therefore don't hate, instead love. It says don't commit adultery, so therefore so lust, love, it's always, what's the heart of the commandment? And ultimately, the moral character of the law is embodied in one specific person, Jesus Christ. So the goal of all of this justification is to make me Christ-like. So we really should replace the word righteous with the word Christ-likeness. So instead of justification, can we say christ likenessification that's a mouthful but but you follow what i'm saying right because it's not about self-righteousness it's about christ's righteousness all right so what have we filled in gentiles in the law anything under there all right so paul's main point is this the gentile should worry about christ-likeness not the jewish law that's the goal you ask yourself am i doing this right I righteous enough? Am I holy enough? Do I do this well enough? That's not the question. Are you being crucified with Christ? Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our picture of righteousness in the New Testament. In the last blank, we are free from the law, so we can be slaves to Christ. Now, Paul does admittedly shy away from the word slave a bit in the book of Galatians, I think because of his point, Um, but he still, he can't help but use it. So see it in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, "...for you were called the freedom brothers." Long do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you still obey the law in the Christ-likeness way, not in the Pharisee way. So this is the same message as the Sermon on the Mount, which is reassuring because it's the same gospel. This is what it's all about. All right. Does that make sense? Any questions on this topic? We've gotten through it a lot more quickly than anticipated. I can't let you out seven minutes early. That would be, that would be wrong. Really? It's going to happen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for tonight. We pray that you bless the time we spend in your word. I pray that it would be fruitful for our growth, for our sanctification. I pray that as we understand the gospel better we would trust it more and we would be able to say with Paul we've been crucified with Christ it's no longer we who live but it's Christ who lives in us we ask this in Christ's name amen well thank you very much have a good evening